So, hopefully you came this morning uh, ready to get into God's Word and rejoice in Him together, so let's do that now. Let's get our Bibles, and let's go to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Getting back into our series here, looking forward to this. I know just in the couple of sermons I've heard and, and been sitting under it with you, I have been blessed and it just whets my appetite even more for God's word. This morning I have a message that I want to bring to you entitled, The Compassionate Power of the Savior. Abe Lincoln famously said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Maybe you've experienced the negative side of that little proverb. Maybe it was a coworker who got promoted on the job and at one point when they used to be a really nice person, that shift in promotion suddenly made them abusive or coarse. And you're like, who is this person? Or maybe you had a boss or maybe you have a boss that uh, you can't bring any good ideas. You can't bring any uh, ideas to help better the company because it seems that the boss is more uh, intent on protecting their authority, protecting their status. We've all probably experienced the negative side of people in authority. Neurologists actually have done studies and they confirm that when someone is given sudden authority or even the perception of power, it changes our brains. That's really weird. That when someone is given authority, especially in a quick way, it can make that person or tempt that person to be less empathetic, less caring, more selfish. One example is driving in traffic. I didn't know they did such studies, but there was a recent study done at Berkeley in California. Let me just give you this quote. Drivers of high-status cars like Mercedes and BMWs cut off other drivers 30% of the time compared to only 7% of lowest-status cars. They also failed to yield to pedestrians almost half the time. Now, to state the obvious, driving a nice car does not force you to be a jerk, right? <laughs> and if there's anyone in here that drives one of those cars, I am sure you are the exception <laughs> to that study. But, but notice, it really isn't about real power. It's about perceived power. If I think I'm better than someone else, it can tempt me to be unkind and uncaring. Now, as Christians, we, we recognize this is not really about brain chemicals and cars. This, this is about the sin of the human heart. And it's about our need for Jesus, not only in forgiving us of our sins, but also to grow us to be more like him, his character, his nature especially when it comes to leading and serving others. Thankfully, we have a God who is perfect in power and in character. I mean, think about this. If, if God were 
only all-powerful, but not all-loving. He would be a heartless dictator. Or if God were all-loving, but not all-powerful, he would be a helpless grandpa. But thankfully, our God is neither of those. He is all-powerful and all-loving. We have a sovereign and benevolent Savior who is not only able to save us, but wants to. He's not only able to and, and has the power to change things in our lives and provide all that we need, but he loves doing it because he loves his people. That's what we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark, one story at a time. And specifically in our text today, we're being shown this, that in Jesus, we have the greatest example of complete authority expressed in perfect love. Mark is going to be recounting in the text we're going to read here in a moment, several different stories back to back, which is kind of how Mark does it. And these stories today illustrate this beautiful combination between Jesus' authority and his love. And I want you to look for those themes. We're going to read the text, verses 21 to 45, and then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, 
If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he, the healed leper, went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the gift of your word. And even as we just read a collection of stories, we we know, Lord, these are not simply stories. This is your word breathed out by you, O Lord, for your people to know you better and to follow you. That's our prayer this morning. Holy Spirit, help us to know Christ better and to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you just read with me five separate accounts from the very beginning days of Jesus' earthly ministry. And in them we see Jesus teaching and preaching and performing miracles. And for us this morning, instead of unpacking each of those stories verse by verse in order, I want us to see the bigger themes that I think Mark is showing us. So we're going to take these stories and we're going to categorize them into just two big buckets. And I want you to see two aspects of Jesus. That through his teaching and miracles, Jesus displays complete authority over evil That's our first big category. And the second one is Jesus shows deep compassion for the hurting. So, first, through his teaching and miracles, Jesus displays complete authority over evil. Already in the book of Mark, we we see very clearly Mark is setting us up to see Jesus as somebody who is not ordinary. He is not like everybody else. He has authority. In the earlier verses that were preached before, we saw an example of that in Jesus's baptism when the father spoke and said, this is my son. We see Jesus walking in that authority. We also saw where Jesus has the authority to call everyday average guys and they follow. Here we see Jesus going into the Jewish synagogue and preaching and teaching on the Sabbath. Now, here in Mark's text, because he's pretty brief, he doesn't tell us what Jesus preaches, but he does tell us how the people responded. They were astonished. Why? Because Jesus taught as one who had authority. Now, Whether it was this sermon or not, over in the Gospel of Luke, we are given an idea of what Jesus preached in one of his very first sermons in the Jewish synagogue, and he preached as his text, Isaiah 61. This is how Luke records it. Jesus reading, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus was preaching the arrival of the kingdom of God. And with God's kingdom comes with it God's king, the Messiah. And Jesus didn't teach like the other religious leaders, as if he were speculating about what the text might mean or how it might be applied to life. No, Jesus was teaching as one with authority, one who knew for sure. And this text as an example from Isaiah 61, he's not wondering who that is. He's saying, I'm that guy. Now that makes sense, Jesus preaching and teaching with authority. I mean, after all, when Jesus read from the Bible, he's reading from the book he wrote. And he's reading about himself. So to teach and preach with authority, well, that just makes sense. No wonder the people were astonished and amazed. We also know this, that when the kingdom of God breaks in, the enemy gets stirred up. And that's what we see happen. Jesus, while he's still in the synagogue, preaching, a demon-possessed man walks in and yells out, verse 24, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Import in your mind fear and terror in that proclamation. It was not confrontation. It was fear and terror on behalf of this demon or demons. Notice first how the demon knew exactly who Jesus is. He addressed him in two ways. Jesus of Nazareth, his humanity, and the Holy One of God, Jesus' divinity. The demon knew who Jesus was and why he came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, a possessed guy walking in the middle of church service yelling out, that's going to mess up your Sunday program. But notice this was not some accidental interruption. This was ordained by God. Jesus was already preaching and teaching with authority. And now he was about to display that authority in real time. The demons crying out and Jesus tells him to be quiet and come out. I think that's a tame way of what probably Jesus said in our vernacular, shut up and get out. And what happened? That's exactly what the demon did. He shut up and he got out. The man, we're told, shook and shivered and convulsed on the ground, but the demon left him. Now, if the people were already amazed at Jesus' teaching, they were probably all having their mouths gaping open at this point, Surely amazed. Not only does this man teach with authority, he has authority over the devil himself. Now, this was not an isolated event. This was, especially in the beginning of the book of Mark, rather common. Look down in verse 32 in our text. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. 
And the whole city gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Look down in verse 39. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Here we have four separate mentions of demons being cast out in what appears to be just a couple of days. And each one is connected to Jesus preaching and teaching with authority. The kingdom is proclaimed and the enemy gets stirred up. The Messiah King shows up and demons flee. And church, that's not just for the New Testament. That still applies today. It's been said that the greatest trick the devil ever played on us was to convince us he's not real. I think that's true. And while it's not the point of our text today to prove the existence of the devil, because all of the biblical writers, they just assumed everyone knew that because it was true. This does pose an opportunity for us to ask some important questions that maybe we don't ask often enough. Like, is the devil real? Yes. Are demons real? And do they still exist? Yes. Can demons still torment people? Yes. The mystery to me is why we pretend they don't. Now, there's discernment and wisdom that's needed here because there are extremes we could bounce to all day long. We want to avoid those ditches. Let me just identify those ditches. Here, Here they are. Everything's a demon. Nothing is a demon. Don't fall to either of those extremes. If you tend to everything being a demon, then that means that every sickness I have is a demon. Every bad feeling I have, every adverse circumstance, it must be the devil. If that's how we approach life, we're going to miss God working good purposefully through tough times. And we're going to miss the blessing of doctors and medicine that God blesses us with. On the other extreme, if you live more the philosophy of nothing is a demon, then you're saying every sickness is nothing but physical. Every mental issue is nothing but mental. Every adverse happening, the devil is nowhere to be seen. And so we wind up abdicating authority that Jesus gave us. We wind up not praying directly and specifically around spiritual warfare and attacks of the enemy that Jesus gives us power to pray against in his name. Just this week, very timely, uh, just this week I was emailed uh, by a pastor friend of mine and he emailed several pastors who were close to him and just said, guys, I'm asking for prayer. I have a teenager that They told me every time they go in this week to pray or to read the Bible, there's just this ominous, dark presence that they they can't escape. And I didn't think much about it, but then I had other teenagers in my church individually coming to me at separate times for counsel saying the exact same thing, that when they open the Bible and try to pray, there's just a dark, demonic presence that they can't escape. Now, that's just one example, but I think a timely one that the church must not fall asleep at the wheel when it comes to who our enemy is, and it's not one another. The Bible reminds us we don't fight against flesh and blood. 
There are powers and principalities, namely the devil and his demons, who are actively trying to combat the church and the gospel and every good thing Jesus is doing. But we know that Jesus is the victor. Jesus prevails. And that's what Mark's bigger point is. Not that we would ignore demonic activity and that we would get, not get sidetracked and focus on it, but that we would see Jesus as the winner, Jesus as the authority over it all. Every circumstance, every trial, every sickness or disease that Jesus will either heal it or he will use it to grow you to be more like him. Jesus has all authority. And so knowing that, doesn't that change how we live? It certainly should. It should build our faith right now, wherever we struggle. It should fill us with joy and boldness in the Holy Spirit, knowing that our Savior has authority. And as he's showing here in Mark, not just authority in word, but authority in deed as well. Jesus doesn't only give us wise words of counsel, but he has the power to act on our behalf. That no matter what the enemy has planned or whatever the devil is trying to do in your life, we are promised the devil will not succeed because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. What an encouragement. What a faith builder for us right now that as we follow in Jesus' footsteps, as we are walking on Jesus' mission to make disciples, we can know without a doubt that nothing will stop the gospel. Nothing will stop Jesus from building his church. Man will pass laws. Evil rulers will kill Christians. Even in our own country, people will try to shut down the church, but we know they will not succeed. Jesus' gospel is going forward. He is building his church. We will see disciples made because our king still rules and reigns with authority. Amen. We can't miss that. Jesus has all authority. But Mark wants us to see a well-rounded Jesus. And so the second big category we can see some of these stories fitting in, that through his teaching and miracles, Jesus shows deep compassion for the hurting. Notice we're now going from public settings to a private setting, and Jesus takes a few disciples into Simon Peter's house. But it's here we see him do another miracle. Look at verse 30. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came... And took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And then that side note, and she began to serve them. Notice here the difference. No crowds, just a few people. Jesus is not publicly proclaiming the gospel in front of the religious. He's, he's simply enjoying some hospitality with friends. But even in this setting, there's a need. No demons growling, no shouting, no commotion, just a sick woman in need of a miracle. And Jesus is moved with compassion. Hear the gentleness in the narrator's voice. Jesus takes her by the hand and he lifts her up and she's healed. We don't hear the astonishment of the crowd because there is no crowd. 
Jesus raising a sick woman out of her bed. And I love Mark's detail. And she started serving people. That tells me there was no slow recovery. She got right, right back to life. She was just like right back in it. And it shows, shows us a grateful heart, doesn't it? She takes that new lease on life and immediately starts serving people. What a beautiful, quiet, private setting where we still see the power of Jesus, the authority he has over sickness, but not in a boisterous public way, in a way that changes one woman's life. Why does Jesus do that? Because he cares, because he loves deeply. Now, let's connect that love and that care to another private miracle. Look down in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. If you mark in your Bibles, would you please underline that word touched? He touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Notice the compassion, the love of Jesus. We see that magnified knowing that under the law of Moses, someone suffering from leprosy was considered unclean. It was forbidden to touch them. So depending on how long this man suffered, this may be the first time another human touched him in years. So imagine the grace, imagine the blessing of human contact. Jesus could have spoken a word, but he reached out his hand and he touched him. But Jesus had more than that in store. This man came to Jesus in humility, not demanding, but asking in faith, Lord, if you're willing, if you want to, I know you can heal me. I picture Jesus smiling saying, I want to be healed. And he was. Now you take those stories, those private settings of of healing one person that maybe only that person in that moment was benefiting from. We can see what's happening. We see a well-rounded picture of our Savior. We see the complete authority over evil We see the public teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God with all authority and power. And at the same time, we see a tender, merciful shepherd. And just one of his sheep is hurting, and that's enough for him to respond. I don't know who who needs to hear this, but let me say this. It is very easy sometimes, even as Bible-believing Christians, to feel like God has forgotten me. Especially in times of struggle and trial. And when that trial has been long-term and you've prayed a lot and you've been waiting a lot for relief and it hasn't come. It's very tempting to see God only as the authority figure on a throne and not as the friend that sticks closer than a brother. So I want to encourage you this morning. Don't let those circumstances, as painful as they may be, inform your 
belief and understanding of who Christ is. His love for you is greater than you could imagine. He is closer to you than you know. And because circumstances aren't changing does not mean he's not near and is not working. He is. It means he is with you and working in you in ways you and I could never imagine. And in ways that a healing or a, an immediate deliverance wouldn't benefit you as much as walking through what you're going through. Trust his authority, but also trust his love. Theologian Howell Jones said it beautifully. Christ's supremacy does not diminish his sympathy. Jesus is perfectly both. Jesus cast out demons and he, he healed the sick, not just because he could, but because he cared. Jesus loves people and he draws near to the hurting, loving the unlovable and touching the untouchable. Helping the helpless, doing miracles for those who could do nothing for him in return. Now, it's true, Jesus did many miracles to validate the gospel, to prove that the message he was preaching was from God and that he himself was God. But I want to point this out that wasn't the only reason Jesus did miracles. We see that partly in these narratives where. Jesus, in different ways, tells people to stay silent. Isn't that strange? You and I are encouraged, tell everybody you know about Jesus. But here in the beginning of his ministry, Jesus is saying the opposite. He's saying, don't tell. Keep it quiet. Isn't that strange? That tells us, first of all, look at, look at verse 43. Jesus, talking to the man he just healed of leprosy, Jesus sternly charged him. I mean, that's like the gentle touch turns into this burning gaze. Sternly charged him and sent him away at once, said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest, as was Moses' law, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. If Jesus were only doing miracles to validate the message, to validate the ministry, to validate the gospel, doesn't it seem odd he's commanding some folks to be quiet and not tell who he is and what happened? Whether it's the, the demons who are shouting that Jesus is the Holy One of God. That's actually true, right? Or that one man that Jesus just healed of leprosy. Jesus is saying, be quiet, tell no one. What should we learn from this? I think it's one, one evidence that Jesus cares for the individual. As much as casting out demons proved his power over evil, let's not forget there was a person involved. A person made in God's image who was suffering, who was hurting, whose life was in shambles. So Jesus did display his authority over evil, but Jesus delivered a person, set the captive free, gave liberty to one who was bound, made whole one who was hopelessly broken because Jesus loves the individual. And at the same time, this command for healed people not to tell anybody reminds us that Jesus' priority was the preaching of the gospel. He knew 
that if word got out these miracles were taking place, especially at the beginning of his earthly ministry, that the crowds would gather so thickly, he would be hindered from going in and out of cities preaching the gospel. And that's exactly what happened. The man healed with leprosy directly disobeyed the Lord. Look at verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Jesus loved healing sick people and making them whole. But Jesus knew our greatest problem was not physical, but spiritual. The main reason Jesus came to earth was not to free us from all our sickness, but to free us from our sin. And that's what he accomplished. Forgiving us of our sin, saving us, that comes through hearing and responding to the gospel. Hearing the good news preached that Jesus died for our sins and he makes us whole by reconciling us to the Father. That by faith we trust in him and we turn from our sins and we know in him alone are we saved. That reminds us we cannot fix ourselves. We need a power outside of us, and that power is Jesus. We cannot rescue ourselves. We need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. In the gospel is embedded the truth. We cannot do it. We need God. We are dependent on God's mercy. And Jesus not only preached that dependence, but he modeled it. Notice right in the middle of all of these miracles, Mark records something that seems very unmiraculous. Look back at verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In these verses, we're seeing one of many examples of Jesus getting away to pray, to be alone with the Father. And when it says the disciples searched for him, embedded in that in the original language, it means they were desperately searching for him and just a little bit irritated that Jesus was missing a prime opportunity to be in front of the crowds. You see, they didn't yet get why Jesus came. The demons knew more about Jesus' mission than his own disciples did at this point. Jesus, we've been looking for you. You're supposed to be out in front doing all the preaching and miracles you can. They didn't realize the irony that Jesus purposely was away praying. And then picking up Jesus' response, oh, are the people looking for me? Good, let's go this way. Let's go to the other town because I still have preaching to do. He's prioritizing the gospel message. And this desire of Jesus, this authority in Jesus, we're seeing a hint of the connection. Jesus stays connected to the Father. Jesus, in his identity as the Son of God, 
Jesus the Messiah. We're seeing that. We saw the connection back in his baptism when it was made clear from the Father's voice. We see it all through these pictures of authority and love that Jesus is showing us throughout the Gospel of Mark. And we're seeing that that authority, there's a source connected to prayer. That if Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, needed to get away and pray and commune with the Father, how much more do you and I need to pray? How much more in the heat of our battles do we need to be getting alone with the Father? That dependence on him that we like to ignore, that we're tempted to replace, but we know is a reality. We need him. And so here embedded is just a quiet invitation for his disciples as we're following him. We don't just follow him in front of the crowds. We don't just follow him into miracles. We need to follow him into prayer. We need it. Now, when we talk about power and authority, and we know that the end of the gospel story itself takes us to the cross, when we look at the cross, a bloody, beaten, dying man, that doesn't look like authority. That looks more like defeat. Well, it is. It's the defeat of the devil on clear display. It's the mystery that the dying man is the winning one. The one who died didn't stay dead, but rose on the third day. So not only did he pay for our sins and have victory over our sin, but he defeated death itself by rising from the dead. That's the kind of authority our king has. And why he did it was to obey and glorify the Father and to save and love his church. That authority and love, the perfect picture of the perfect Savior, dying and saving imperfect people. Well, that should cause us to rejoice. That should cause us to glorify him. That should cause us to be encouraged. As we sang this morning, whether I'm in difficult circumstances, whether I'm on a mountaintop or I'm deep in the valley, whether things are going my way or things are doing everything but going my way, you deserve to be praised, Lord. You are with me. You are still in control. And I know you still love me. Can we see Jesus a little more clearly this morning? Reflected in God's word with the help of the spirit, can we say we're seeing Jesus a little more clearly? Because as we do, church, as we feed our worship of him, as we are encouraged and emboldened, there's purpose behind this. It's not only for our encouragement and our joy, though that is a beautiful thing. These reminders of Jesus' authority and love are to remind us, as his church, we are to walk in his authority and his love. That we are given his authority to go and see the captives freed by preaching the gospel, by praying for people. And we are given the love to share for those who are unlovable, to touch the untouchable, to help the helpless, just as he did in his power, for his glory, through the message of the gospel. So that you and I will be reminded what Jesus did was not just for us, but he wants to work through us. 
cross of grace, there are so many more people in Chaska and Waconia and Eden Prairie and all of our surrounding areas who Jesus is calling to himself that he's calling us first to go and preach, to go and witness, to go and serve. So know this morning, you already have the authority to follow in the footsteps of the Savior. And the love he has given you fully equips us to go on his mission, to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, and to see the gospel go forth, to see his church built, and to see the bound be made free. Let's pray. Lord, you are kind to reveal to us in your word your perfect, complete authority and your deep, abiding love. This morning, I want to pray specifically for those in this room or those who would hear or watch this sermon later for for those who have been hurt by someone in authority, whether that's a boss or spouse or a pastor. Those this morning who would hear about your authority, Lord, and wonder how can they trust, how can they walk in that way, would you meet them now? Would you redeem our idea of authority that we would not base it in sinful man, but in our perfect king? who is not only powerful, but you're also all loving. And may we walk in that power and that love to see your glory spread across the earth. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.